Welcome back to an Omnia product. I'm Jay with my co-host Angela and we have a special guest here Amanda from our podcasting cohort who hosts the New View Advice podcast. Welcome. Hi thanks for having me. Amanda has a booming growing TikTok following and helps people through whatever they have to go through. Discuss relationship issues, cheating are some of the topics I know you've told me about but what else do people write in about? Yes cheating is the most popular so if anybody's experienced cheating you are not alone. I was very surprised how many people are going through that right now. I talk with people about relationships, trauma. So as we're talking about today, sexual assault is a big one I receive questions about. Also, we talk about friendships and different emotions such as anxiety and depression. All things far too relatable to this generation. Yeah, seriously. I was going to listen to some more episodes to like get current on what you've been talking about in the last month. And as we experienced last season with Heather's podcast, I didn't want to do that and then start crying and then not be prepared for today. I get that a lot. I think I created my podcast unintentionally mm-hmm. to like help people feel feelings because most people are like, oh, I love your podcast. It makes me cry every time I listen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's like definitely not my intention. But if it helps you feel the feelings, yeah. God bless. <laughs> I love Brene Brown, the researcher, author extraordinaire, the only cult person I would follow anywhere. <laughs> she says, which I think is so true, is like we want vulnerability from other people more than anything. And we want expect it from ourselves like least. So I think when people are willing and open and asking these questions like oh my god like I'm not alone in this and then like because you know someone else is going through it you kind of can feel it through their experience and you're like oh that's why I think everyone loves Taylor Swift's song so much because when you listen to the 10 minute version of All Too Well it's like oh something and that's gonna hit regardless of whether it's your exact situation or not. Seriously. Yeah I totally agree. As Amanda alluded to this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, also known as Sam with two A's. And we feel as young women, this is a very important topic because Angela, I know you're going to have a more accurate, but I believe in college we were told like one in three women have experienced sexual assault, which is far too high. And it's just something that puts in perspective that clearly whether you think you know someone who has or you don't know anyone who's spoken of it, it's probably happened. And once we start talking about it, we can kind to build common humanity around it. Mm-hmm. To touch on that, because we know I love statistics. As of 2019, the most updated numbers, one out of every six women has been the victim of attempted or completed assault in her life. And it's one in 33 men. So that's about 3% men. But both of those numbers are considered to be underestimates because it all depends on reporting. reporting. So what I've always been told is you round that up to one one out of every four women and then one out of every 10 men. Wow. Mm-hmm. That just feels so common. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. And like we're going to talk about later in this episode, these are just numbers related to the most common or legally defined areas of assault. There are a lot of new areas that have popped up within the last 10 years that we still don't have laws against. So they're not actually considered assault and there still are like lawyers and activists out there 
they're working to gain the precedence to get them into the rule book. Just a clarification, assault of all kind hitting or is that sexual assault numbers? Sexual assault. Oh, that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Yep. And then a little fun fact too, they actually include stalking and sexual assault. I didn't know that, but oh. stalking numbers are included in here. Mm-hmm. We've had a few friends who've had stalkers. Right? And we don't have that many friends either. <laughs> so the fact that we have a few friends that have encountered stalkers, it's not okay. Amanda, has anyone ever written into you about stalkers? No, I haven't received any questions about stalkers, but I have definitely had friends who have also dealt with stalkers. So, and I don't have a lot of friends either. So pretty common, I, unfortunately. I feel like stalking is one of those things where like in shows, it's kind of downplayed. Mm-hmm. Oh, like someone following you around or like the extreme versions of like you, the Netflix show. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot in between that. And like when you really break down what a stalker is, that's really weird. It really is. So I know cyber stalking now, they're working to get that filed as a criminal offense. Oof. Mm-hmm. So that's completely crazy to think about because particularly online, Instagram, TikTok, those are very open forums. Mm-hmm. Generally, you don't have a private account. It's generally not considered not socially acceptable to follow people that you don't know. Well, but it's it's weird. But you also like, you're encouraging it. Your mm-hmm. call to actions are like, oh, follow me here. Look me up here. Like DM me. Amanda, since you, you get a lot of DMs from strangers for your show, it's a thing of, I've been looking into parasocial relationships a lot because I think that it's more and more prevalent in our world and our society. I mean, ironically, we all have podcasts, which like, do make us in somewhat public figures-ish, but it is definitely a thing. Like I have a small version, not of assault happen, but there was someone who I was dating for a little bit who said that they listened to an episode of our podcast and that like completely like changed my view of our podcast and changed my view of certain things. I'm like, oh, someone could listen to almost 60 episodes of us just talking and then go on a date with me and have all of this information about me and me like I choose to not look people up on social media like once I kind of talk to them enough to verify I'm like okay you're a human you don't have a foot fetish cool I'll meet you in person at least see how it goes but like they could have all of this information they're like oh yeah so like when you were in Europe for that wedding it's like I I didn't tell you that (laughs) that wasn't Mm -hmm. I included but it's also like we encourage people to do that we encourage people to listen to us talk and to hear this yeah totally but at the same time it's like I really hope that even though like it feels sometimes and we do like this that when people listen they feel like they're just talking with friends please remember that you haven't actually met us in person and we don't have that relationship yet if you do actually meet us anyone from someone you follow on tiktok to instagram anyone you follow that you have not met there's still an amount of stranger danger that you need to account for mm-hmm. and in angela's guide to being a lone wolf later in this episode we're going to talk all about how to throw in some social media red herrings so you can catch people but kicking us back into sexual assault awareness month sam sam education as hopefully more of you will know now, Sam's call to action day is Denim Day. And this is something that has really started to gain a lot of media attention in the past few years again. But I thought I would start off by giving us an intro into the history. In 1999, an Italian Supreme Court Circuit of Justices overturned a rape conviction with what has now become known today as the Jeans Alibi. A convicted rapist had his sentencing overturned during an appeal process when his lawyer argued that the survivor's jeans were too tight to have been removed by her attacker with one hand while she was struggling. They were so tight, in fact, that she had to have helped him remove her jeans, and therefore her cooperation became implied consent. I feel like the trigger warning should have been implied with the title of this episode, but like, we'll just throw one in here now. Obviously, trigger warning, sexual assault, rape. We're not going into really big stories on it. This is our biggest one, but we will be talking about media depictions and legal definitions. So if you feel that this is going to be too much, get back to last week's episode. 
episode. Wait for us next week. If you need any of the resources from this episode, we will make sure to put these in the show notes at the very top before we fact check anything from our discussion so that way you're not catching any of these stories. What kind of defense? I'm just like- The fact that it has a name. It is literally now known as the Jeans Alibi and there is precedence for it to be used out there. Oh, but that's not where it ends. So the day after this dude's appeal was granted, the women of Italian parliament wore jeans to work in protest and solidarity for the survivor. Their action caught media consent. And then the women of California's Congress and Senate also arranged a similar protest wearing jeans to the state capitol in Sacramento, where Patty Ocuzio Giggins, who I believe is Italian herself, who runs a charity here in the US, got the idea to launch Denim Day Awareness. And so Denim Day has been happening every year since then. It's been going on for 23 years now. And it is the longest running and most prevalent sexual assault awareness campaign in the world. I feel like this is a major example of like weaponized incompetence. Pants were so tight, like the man had to have had help because like he couldn't do it himself with pants that tight. Right, and I, I don't know, this might be taking it a little bit too far, but like, you know how like some guys, like they're just like, when they go to like take off their own pants, like they don't know what they're doing. Like you can like see, oh like, my God. have you ever like seen guys like getting undressed at the beach and they're just like, man, I don't know how to do this. So like, obviously other guys are like, oh yeah, like I don't know how to take my own pants off. God forbid he knows how to take off hers. There is a current TikTok trend going around. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it of like women, like men washing their face and they take water and then they like rub their face like very abrasively or like men trying to take off a sweatshirt and like it's like flying everywhere and like it's not coming off and it's like the dramatization of like the way men do very basic things mm. as if they're very complicated but yeah that makes absolutely no sense I wear Zero I, I think skinny jeans were a phase in high school I think we've all owned them there's no pair of jeans that tight and if they Seriously. do they have a lot of stretch to them so it's not like absolutely ridiculous they really wanted to protect I like they really did everything it's kind of like that other court case like the Twinkie defense that was used in the US for a different case. Oh, I don't know that one. I don't want to misquote it. I mean, have you heard of the Twinkie defense? I haven't. But this was making me think of Chanel Miller who wrote Know My Name and she was the victim of sexual assault. Uh, it was the Stanford oh, case, yeah. so it was pretty highly publicized. And she had a similar experience where the judge was basically just like, oh, it was just a mistake. And I think because it wasn't rape, mm-hmm. it was sexual assault, which we can talk a little bit about. It was undermined and he didn't, he was found innocent and he was found innocent or it was like a very low sentence I can't remember it got reduced but it's just again protecting the man rather than believing the women and their stories or the survivor it's not always women I want to be clear about that he did get charged but his sentence got reduced dramatically and then I don't I feel very bad that I might be confusing two survivors there it was the one at NYU who carried the mattress around right or Columbia that was a different case yes that was a different case okay yes that was a different case the fact that like this doesn't take much for us to be like, oh this campus or was this that campus same thing with Black Lives Matter it's like oh was this the cop that did this it's like no he was selling this or he was sleeping like there are too many references for us to just pull on to show how prevalent this is. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things, Amanda, that you even just touched on is that we get into this weird kind of qualification system where it's like, oh, it wasn't rape. It was just sexual assault. Rape is a type of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. They are not within two separate categories. Rape is a specific term for something that can be experienced during an assault. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we get into this weird hierarchy of like, yeah, correct. At what level like did the bad thing happen to you. None of this should be happening at all. Correct. Yeah, I find that too, that a big thing people do is the comparison. Mm -hmm. So one of the comparison people do is, was it actually rape or was it something else is I feel like how it's interpreted. 
it's all horrific. It shouldn't matter. And I, it goes into how in those situations, it makes survivors feel like they yeah. have to go mm-hmm. into the details of what happened to them. And I actually think that can be mm-hmm. very re-traumatizing for survivors to have to go into the details and justify what happened to them, where as we can talk more about later, I think the best thing we can do is really just offer compassion and not push too far for the details and just hold space for one another and the pain we've experienced. I agree. And not to say what happened to me is anywhere near this, but when Angela and I were in Paris on our last day, I got pickpocketed. So like my purse got opened and like my little coin purse got stolen. And it was, I in that moment could not stop crying. And I felt so defiled. Like someone had gone into my bag on it. And like, obviously assault is like on your body, on your like genetics, your DNA, like your like physical presence on this earth. I can't imagine the extent to where like that getting unwanted advances to say the least if not worse yeah I think that we get into this really weird space because there are way too many gross types of assault out there it's basically trying if you're like a Greek mythological hero and you encountered a hydra and like every time you're like oh we've conquered one three more pop up and it just keeps growing and growing and it's very heartbreaking because I looked up a lot of these terms and in their legal definitions they have to add in these notes at the end that say no matter how slight So it's like, just like with like the pickpocketing thing, it's like, that was a violation of your physical presence that hurt you, no matter how slight you were hurt, no matter how slight, even if it's just a caress that's unwanted, it's like, that's still a type of assault, no matter how slight. Yeah, I agree. And I think that for me, one of the main things to think about is what happens, like even with your pickpocket example, is it takes away your sense of safety. Exactly. And as humans, if our safety is taken away, there's literally nothing else we can do. So we can't really function if our sense of safety is taken from us. So that's why all these experiences can seem so large for the survivor is because you can't really go about your nine to five work day if Mm -hmm. you don't feel safe in your body. And it's the same with any type of assault. I feel like it's one of like the basic human rights, right? To feel safe in your own body. When you have that taken from you, it's very disruptive to Mm -hmm. every single area of your life. I fortunately cannot speak from personal experience on this topic. I'm very fortunate because I know far too many friends who have but it, I'm sure one of you can correct me Angela you worked at our women's center in college so I know you have some experience Amanda you get stories like this all the time but our brain similarly to what Amanda was saying about safety our brain wants to be aligned our brain wants things to make sense it recognizes pattern that's how it thrives that's how it feels safe and so when something like this must happen there must be a ton of cognitive dissonance going on which is where the justification and the re-traumatizing and explaining things because you're just trying to make sense of it because if you can't make sense of what happened you or why it happened you can't feel safe you can't function so people either that's probably why some people don't report because they just want it to go away and they think the faster there can be a reason or explanation henceforth oh I shouldn't have worn that or I drank too much or whatever it may be must put people in such shame spirals one of you elaborate on that more than I can Amanda I'll I'll let you go first yeah I think that shame is a huge part of sexual assault and I think part of it does with what we already discussed with the legal system so most survivors don't report and most survivors don't go through the legal system. I was in group therapy for a while and out of four of us, only one reported what happened to them. And this is because as we talked about, the shame of not being believed is just re-traumatizing all over again. So it's like if your entire world is shattered, that's kind of, I usually use the example of like, if we're a plate, the plate is shattered and we're left to figure out how to put the pieces of this plate back together. But we live in a system that keeps breaking the plate. So it keeps re-shattering all the pieces we put back together. And 
And so, as we mentioned, with all these examples of cases that are basically thrown out or where the survivor has to relive the trauma over and over again, I talked about Know My Name, which I think is a great book if you're looking to learn about what it's like to go through the legal system because Chanel Miller breaks down how horrific it was, how she didn't realize how many years it would take, how she didn't know what she was signing up for when right after she was sexually assaulted, she was in the shock of what happened and somebody said, do you want to press charges? And then it was years later that she was still living through this experience. And part of this is because when we experience trauma, it does live in the body. So as you were saying with brain and the body, it lives in the body because our body wasn't able to fully move through the fight or flight experience. So we hold on to that trauma until we're able to process it, which is why with sexual assault and any sexual violence, finding a way to do somatic therapy or somatic experiences is so important on the healing journey because just talking about it isn't usually enough. You have to move the energy that ends up stuck in your body. Can you elaborate on what some of those experiences are that people can do if they have to have that move? Yeah, so I recommend for anybody who's experienced sexual violence to find a trauma-informed therapist because I had multiple therapists while I was healing from this and some re-traumatized me because they didn't understand what I had experienced. So that was really hard. So once I found somebody who was trauma-informed, that was really helpful. So for me, what was really helpful was EMDR, which is a form of therapy that you hold on to buzzers and it activates the body's nervous system and you're able to, with a therapist, process memories and reprocess them so that you can reprogram new belief systems and you can fully move through the experience that you experienced. But also trauma-informed yoga is really helpful. Getting in your body, when we experience sexual violence, we leave our bodies so often. So it's finding ways to get back into the body. So those are two ways I recommend is the yoga and the EMDR, but there's a bunch of other techniques as well. I believe in college at the Women's Center, we had, it wasn't a regular thing, but there was a contact for trauma-informed yoga in the city that our campus's Women's Center partnered with so that they could refer people out. And I think just Amanda, like you're saying, just even trying to find the best person to work with, someone who really understands. There are resources out there. If you're in college, generally your Women's Resource Center. If you're out of college, just at whatever moment in your life, there are generally women's support groups that you can find online or possibly even be referred to by a therapist and they can actually connect you with some of these places as well so that you can find exactly what it is you need. I think one of the hard things about it is that because we don't really talk about it very often and they're not listed, not many people know about them. Also just even trying to keep privacy and just like the safety of women, they're not well advertised because they can't be well advertised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and two resources I know of is one is Exhale to Inhale, which you can find online and they can connect you with trauma-informed yoga. And then also the Breathe Network can help connect you with a trauma-informed therapist. There are two resources I've found online. I haven't used either of them, just as a disclaimer, but both of them offer resources for sexual violence survivors. I think this might be a good transition to maybe work through how to best help someone who has come to you to report or to self-report. You as a friend, not you as, yeah, like, you as a friend. Yeah, you as a friend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think this is a great topic because I don't think we give this topic enough of a conversation because from my own experience and through group therapy, I can tell you that most people I have disclosed to had an inappropriate reaction rather than a compassionate reaction. And what an inappropriate reaction looks like, I'm going to touch on that first because I just want to give some examples of things we don't want to say. So things that I find inappropriate are, one, I don't go into the details of what happened to me anymore because what I experienced a lot was that people would say things like, oh my God, ew, gross. And it's like, okay, like imagine what it was experiencing. 
doing that, right? So for you to project onto me is really difficult. But I find that a lot of people don't know how to hold it. So it's like a gut reaction. So I can have a lot of compassion for that, but it's learning to listen rather than have to respond immediately. Other reactions are asking for too many details. So asking if the survivor was drinking, asking what they were wearing. I have had both of those type of reactions myself. I have had people, oh, a big one is, did you know the perpetrator? And thinking that if you knew the person who did the violence, that it makes it any less than if it was. I think a lot of people have an idea that sexual violence is people being raped or sexually assaulted in an alley by a stranger Mm -hmm. with a knife to their neck. It's very, that's more rare than actually knowing the person who assaults you. It's actually much more common to know the person who does it, which is another layer of trauma because you trust the people you surround yourself with. And then to have this type of violence happen, that those are all reactions that can be really hard for survivors. And then the most common one, now that I'm remembering, is going straight into fix-it mode. So trying to fix the survivor immediately and also having a lot of feelings about what happened. So I talked to my partner before this and he talked to me about how hard it was. And then I had to remember when we were first going through this that the hardest one for us was that he had a lot of feelings about it. He was really angry. He was really sad. He wanted to do something to make it better. And I could not be the space for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my biggest piece of advice is if you have trouble with dealing with somebody who discloses to you is to get support yourself. I think a lot of people feel guilty having their own feelings because it's like, oh, well, I didn't experience that. Why am I so affected by this? But I think it's so important for the people in survivors' lives to find a support system as well because sexual violence has a ripple effect. So it happens to the person, but it also affects the people in their life because it is just so traumatizing and kind of hard to wrap our brains around the fact that humans can do this to other humans. And I think other people don't really think think about what sexual violence is. They hear the word sexual. And I think some people have trouble thinking about not enjoying it. I've had that type of reaction too, which is just like mind boggling for me. But it's it's like so many issues in the world. Don't ask the survivor to educate you. You know, go find support, maybe educate yourself. And then you can have all your feelings about it. Just don't use the survivor for that. Mm-hmm. I, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry that you had to hold space for all of that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that... What you're saying, though, really goes for all sorts of trauma that hasn't Mm -hmm. been personally experienced. I think obviously we're talking about sexual assault, but I think it's hard when any sort of trauma is happening to someone you care about. And so it's like you feel like, well, it's not my place to have, but you're going to have feelings because you care about that person. You love this person. You're going to have like, you're not having a reaction when someone tells you this. I think that's a bigger red flag personally, Mm -hmm. but it's just like when a family member is sick, you're not sick, but like they're going through something if someone has cancer it's like I don't have cancer but it's like I can't it's like you can have you're gonna have feelings because your this person is part of your circle this person's impacted on your life and so your life does change and need to hold space for that but I think we're not educated enough and I think as someone who has been told had people tell self-report is the term you used yes self-report this or coming out or any sort of very sensitive information to me I've had to learn and work through it's like okay 
I like knowing that the first reaction I tried to have is what do you want? Like, thank you for sharing. Do you want to share more? What would you like to occur now? Because, and I'm very honest, like I don't know these experiences. And I say that I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry that I'm new. I don't know this experience. Like what would you like to happen next? Because if you want to just like sit here or if you want to do anything, cause like, don't, this isn't the, mo this is a moment for you to be vulnerable that you don't know what to do either. You don't know what to, what to do with this big piece of information that was just handed to you. And that's okay. You don't need to, like you said, like fix it. You don't need to be like, I think it's okay to sit in that uncomfortability because obviously the survivors had to sit through that and is opening up to you. And the best thing you can do is just let them lead. And I think survivors would, will lead you where they would like to, that to go rather than needing direction from you. Mm -hmm. I think going that back, the, if you're going to ask anyone question, ask, is there anything I can do for you? What can I do to help? What would you like me to help you with? Because here's the thing, nine times out of 10, the person who's talking to you isn't going to know exactly what they need. Like they're probably just trying to say it, to work through, like to even come to terms with it. And like, it might be a long time before maybe they even come back to you. Maybe they go to someone else before they say, I'd like to seek therapy. I'd like to report. I would like to see a physician, whatever. But it's like, leave it up to them. Don't take away any more of that agency by trying to make it about you and what you need to do to feel more comfortable in this situation. Yeah, I love that. And I think you both touched on such compassionate ways you've learned to support people in your lives. Rain is the R-A-I-N-N, -N, is the sexual assault hotline or the national resource in America. I'm not sure how international your audience is. But they have an acronym called TALK, which is a great thing to remember. And it stands for T, thank them from sh for sharing. A, ask how you can support them. L, listen without judgment. And K, keep supporting them. So this is just a great way to, in your head, be, I think acronyms are great ways to remember anything. Mm -hmm. So I find that a really helpful way to share with people because it's like you were saying that holding that vulnerable space, it's like we mentioned Brene Brown. Like she talks about all the time. We don't have to know what to say. It's actually vulnerable to say, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. But how can I help you? I haven't experienced this. I'm having a hard time with this. Is there someone I can help you reach out to? You know, it's okay to be honest. I would always rather somebody be honest with me mm -hmm. than try and fix me, but like be struggling themselves. It's like honesty is and vulnerability is the best way to deal with this. Because when anybody discloses, it's vulnerable, right? So just to respond back with vulnerability and that compassion. I think people underestimate the power of just sitting with someone in uncomfortability. The power of just being like, yeah, I'm so sorry. This really sucks. And not having to fix it. I think that that just allows people to feel really seen. Mm -hmm. I have a follow-up as someone who has gratefully been in the bystander role of or ally. I don't know. Is there a term for ally? We will talk about bystander intervention later. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as an ally, who's someone who's had these kind of things, Amanda, you were saying I or an ally is allowed to have their own feelings in either space. But like when it comes to like me needing an outlet or let's say I'm fortunate enough to be in therapy and to afford therapy it's not something everyone can do how do I because obviously you don't want to trauma dump back on the survivor and like kind of exhaust them more but it's, it's how do you express what you're going through to someone else without sharing like obviously you don't need to you can just say I was told about someone that like was sexually violated or something like keeping their story as close tight as you can while also needing process it well because like you can't you obviously know the information you're entrusted with is vulnerable and clear 
clearly not something that's publicly known, but as you need to work through what you do, how do you suggest allies kind of maneuver through that base, if that makes sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that's a great question. I think, as you mentioned, I think everybody should be in therapy. I am aware it is not an option for everybody. I think that's a very sad reality we live in. We could do a whole episode on the healthcare system in especially the United States. Oh, uh, God. But I had the people in my lives, my life, go to therapy. So they were able to have containers to discuss what happened to me. Also, though, Rain has a chat function and a hotline, which is free. And they'll talk to survivors and people supporting survivors. And they can provide you with resources. It's a really great resource. I recommend it to so many people because mm -hmm. they will help you find resources in your area. Because I think it's like you were saying, it's just you're going to have your own feelings about it too as an ally. And I think that you can talk about it with a like a, your own safe person and just don't disclose the name. You can talk about it because especially if somebody goes into the details of what happened to them, I think that can be like extremely hard for people because the violence that happens is atrocious. And I think that it's just unspeakable, the things that happen to people. I mean, all types of trauma feel that way, that finding that outlet. And if you're not comfortable talking to somebody else, I always recommend starting to journal. Journal about how you're feeling. Journaling really moves energy. And it's a great way for you to start wrapping your head about all the feelings you're having. And then maybe after journaling, you'll even be like, okay, I'm ready to talk to somebody about this. But I think that when it comes to trauma, we have to normalize professional help. I definitely agree. And I think in addition to rain they're fantastic like i've used their chat function before and just they're super helpful and positive and just bringing you in and making everything feel okay continue that conversation whenever you need to peer counseling groups are also really amazing and particularly if you're a woman on a college campus there are a ton of them they're usually coded discreet anonymous depending on where you go to school most likely they're going to go through the women's resource centers sometimes dorms have them set up but they have really great little things that I'm, I'm not going to give away. You just, you kind of have to look for them. You'll see they slowly become obvious. Led one of those little like anonymous groups for a while and I was purple scarf girl. So I just sat at a table in the cafeteria and had a purple scarf on the table and people could come and sit down and just talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. Allies or just- I love that. Anybody. Okay. Survivors, allies, people who were just curious and wanted information mm -hmm. about like what was going on. So I think one of the things that a lot of people go through when they leave home and they're living on their own is that they don't realize that there are a lot of things that they have been exposed to in a normalized capacity mm -hmm. that are not okay. Completely. And so maybe it's something that hasn't happened to them, but it's something that they've witnessed or something that they've always been taught that they have to now work through the relearning process. And this is a safe space for them to ask questions without judgment. I love that. I'm so happy to hear that. When I was in college I'm 30 so like eight years ago that was not a resource and there was still a lot of shame and still a lot of education going on and I'm glad to hear how much things have changed and that most universities have a resource like that. Mm -hmm. I got really into it because I was looking like I knew about it on my campus because I volunteered at the women's center but now as of 2019 80% of colleges have a rape prevention and awareness director somewhere within either their campus security 
Security, their Women's Center, or in the administration that literally just spends all year coordinating programs like this. Public and private? Public and private. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's a lot higher than I thought. Yeah. And uh, in terms of campus security, they have also expanded their jurisdiction. So a lot of campuses where they previously like didn't have a lot of authority, like someone came and self came and self-reported to a security officer or to their education system, they couldn't necessarily go to the police without breaking a violation of trust. They now have these things called memorandums of understanding where they literally have police jurisdiction and can make arrests. Wow. Yep. That's great. That's good. It's nice to hear we're moving in a positive direction. This might be too big for this conversation, Angela, you can tell me, but I think there are some campuses, there are all these videos on social media of the way of people saying like, stand up if you've been sexually assaulted, stand up if you've known someone's been sexually assaulted. And like, obviously everyone stands up, every female stands, woman, woman presenting person at these seminars stands up. And kind of the quote, isn't it interesting how many women have been sexually assaulted, but somehow no men have ever sexually assaulted a woman? No, I think that's fine for this conversation. I think that it particularly leads us into the ways that the definition of sexual assault needs to expand. Because similarly, I think I always, I'm going to preface this, I stand with survivors and I believe people when they report to me. And I also think it's a hard conversation, similarly kind of to the revelations a lot of people came to 2020 about race, like getting called a racist, getting called a rapist or a person who has sexually offended. Yes. Has sexually- Perpetrator. Sexual perpetrator, thank you. Have done is like a hard label to wear. And unlike racism in which we have to normalize our system, like we're all a little bit racist. I don't, it's not the same thing where we have to acknowledge like most men have sexually perpetrated, so whoops. But it's also a much larger system that they've also been held and encompassed to that needs to be addressed as well. No, I- I Am I getting kicked off this episode? No, you are not getting kicked off this episode. No, I agree with you because I think just we touched on it earlier in this episode, like the majority of sexual offenders will never be incarcerated. They will like never have to serve time. They maybe will end up on a sex offenders list. And so it's one of those things where there's a huge reform that needs to go on. And it's maybe reform isn't even the right word because it's just, it needs to stop. It's not as if there's some like little behavior that needs to be altered. It just needs to stop. And so I think maybe kicking this off with intimate partner violence. It's really hard for people to wrap the wrap their heads around the idea that it is possible for someone that you are in a romantic relationship with to commit a sexual assault. But it's one of the most common forms that happens. To me, that doesn't... I'm confused. I mean, I'm not confused. It's just like, I don't understand it when you work the logic all the way through, like why it wouldn't be. It makes just sense that it's the highest because it's like for whatever their trauma and insecurities are that cause them, it's like they feel safest to do that to you because like you're a safe space, which is obviously not okay, not right. Mm-hmm. But, like I don't understand like why that's so hard for people to wrap their heads around. I don't know either, honestly. Like it it kills me because that's it's the most common one that happens. It's also the one that's least likely to be recorded because it's least likely to be believed. So yeah, I actually went to group therapy with a girl who experienced that and she went to the police and wasn't believed. They wouldn't call her back and it was just completely re-traumatizing for her. And then I also have people write in about that type of experience and there's a lot of shame wrapped around it because of people do have trouble wrapping their head around it. I agree that I'm on the side of I think it makes sense. I think yes means yes, no means no. And I think that 
like you said, people feel really safe with a partner. So to be violated by a partner is really hard and it's very possible. You know, we see relationships where people are physically abusive as well, emotionally abusive. Why not be sexually abusive as well? Why wouldn't that exist? So this is, it's a tough one because I don't have the answer on how to educate people. I think it's just talking about it. And it's like anything, like the more you talk about it, the more you normalize it and not normalize that it happens, but normalize that it's a form of abuse or it's a form of Mm -hmm. assault, a form of rape. What do you think allies job is if you've heard that and they're with that partner still? That's really hard. Um, I agree. I think that one is extremely difficult. I think that unfortunately, you can only do so much. So if somebody's going to continue being in a cycle of abuse, you can be there and you can educate them that it's abuse. I think sometimes people don't even quite understand the form of abuse that they're experienced and that it is abuse until they leave. Mm -hmm. I know as I was in an emotionally abusive relationship when I was in high school and it's not, it wasn't until later that I was like, that was so toxic. That was, and I had people be like, you can't let somebody talk to you like that. And I was like, but he loves me. And I say it like that because now I can look back and be like, oh my God, Amanda, run. But at the time, it's trauma. It's called trauma bonding. So oftentimes people who have experienced trauma bond with a partner who's also experienced trauma. So what we mistake for love is actual trauma bonding. And we're trying to fix our traumas with one another. It's not healthy, but it's very common. So I feel like as somebody who witnesses it, it is so hard to witness. And oftentimes people who are experiencing this tend to isolate themselves because part of them knows it's wrong. So they don't really talk about it. But if you are aware of it, it's really creating that going back to creating those safe spaces like being like Mm -hmm. I'm a safe space I love you I want what's best for you but you really can't force anybody because it's like teenagers right when our parents were like you can't do that it was like oh Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go do that so it's a really hard place to be in but I think that being that compassionate person and being there when that person is ready to leave it even if they haven't treated you great can be hard not everybody's gonna be able to do that but if you can be somebody who's like can be there for them when they do leave it, I think that that's a beautiful thing we can start to do for each other. I agree because I think the hardest thing in those types of relationships is because even if everyone else around you can see it, but you can't, if you feel like you have nowhere to go when you do realize, you are more likely to stay and the cycle is just going to continue. So what I encourage people to do, which sometimes isn't for everyone, but it is a thing. If you witness something that's not okay, like a moment of emotional abuse, the little physical violences, grabbing someone by the arm roughly, the hair, those things like that, document it. Write it down. Write down the time. Write down when it happened, who was there. So that way, if they ever want to leave but they feel like they can't or they're not going to be believed if they want to record it, you've done something for them that gives them an out, which is really hard to do. But particularly like if it's something that's happening a lot, be aware of yourself in that situation because that can like sometimes be dangerous for you. Mm -hmm. But try to do what you can. Also, not everyone is capable of doing what you guys are saying, of staying close with that person. And I think you need to have the self-awareness whether you can be there. I mean, I think it's one thing to be there for when they leave, but to consistently be around and document and like stay active is not, I don't believe is something everyone is capable of doing. I think we should all get better as a society, but I think you should also know if you can't be one of those people who's like gonna be in their life without being like, you should leave him. Like he, you did what? And like say it 
once and if they continue you got your piece in there you got your little like voice in their head you're probably not the first person to say it to them and then drop it Mm -hmm. yeah bystander intervention can be incredibly difficult because okay so wait go back bystander versus ally yes so bystander intervention is when you are physically there or you have knowledge that something has been happening and so when we talk about bystander intervention it's all about ways that you can safely intervene or whether that's like physically being there and saying like hey would you like to come with me can I get you an uber can I call someone for you or just like making a note snapping a photo anything like that it's not for everyone but I do encourage like particularly like if you're a man and you witness another man doing something that you see that's not okay please intervene I'm real time in real time I am a five foot nothing girl I intervene all the time I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have jumped in front of someone on public transportation I've stuck my foot out in a club I've spilled a drink I've attempted to punch someone in the nose but I'm really short so it just doesn't work out and yell and yell scream your head off be April Kepner at Seattle Grace Mercy Sloan like talking to the shooter like scream anything that you can here's the thing particularly like if you're another small woman you most likely can't do anything to help this other small woman but if you are a larger presence please intervene don't be afraid don't like just stand there and be like oh wow like that girl's getting her hair pulled she looks really sad huh gonna toss back another shot don't do that please intervene yeah to really work on these problems systemically men men are the problem and men need to be part of the solution mm-hmm. or I mean as soldiers but dominantly men we're talking mostly men but yes we understand yes. there's men can also as you said at a 10% rate are assaulted and I heard this this was about physical abuse but I was listening to Justin Baldoni Raphael from Jane the Virgin's podcast and he had Karamo from Queer Eye on and he was talking about how Karamo considers himself an abuser he would physically abuse his partner and he was saying that something in gay relationships or same-sex relationships that happens a lot is if the police get called they're not believed it's like two men it's like you let him do what like no fight for yourself man up like that didn't happen like so in those relationships it's even harder to get assistance or to get it called out because big man small woman is like hard enough to men of equal stature in Mm -hmm. a gay relationship Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I need to learn more about is that there are outcry advocates out there they're generally social workers whom you can call to bring with you to a police station when you would like to report to help you best express yourself and help you fight to get another officer if needed to understand what you're saying that's great Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a great resource I don't know much about that because I didn't go through the legal system but I think that's a great thing I want to learn more about too and I just wanted to touch Jay on how you said like not everybody can do what we were saying because I completely agree so I just want to be clear for anybody out there whose friend is being abused or they see somebody in their life being abused and they just like can't do it anymore that's okay because you can only help somebody as much as they want to be helped and if it's affecting you and your mental health and even your physical well-being it's okay to not be able to hold the space it's okay Mm -hmm. if it's too tough I have had to leave people in my own lives lives and I've had people leave me when I was in trauma response and I don't blame them at all was it hard yeah but I look back and I have such compassion for them and for myself and also as a survivor I don't want somebody there who can't hold the space I don't want somebody who's trying to fix me oftentimes that's the response of people is that fixing response so you don't have to it's such a hard one to be like but I love this person and I see such bad things happening to them I want to help I want to help but if it's affecting you negatively or they're just not ready to change 
change, it's okay to mm-hmm. move forward with your own life and not allow that to hold you back. Because you're only allow- able to help people as much as you're able to help yourself. You're only able to show up for people and be as compassionate to others as you are compassionate to yourself. So it's important for you to take care of you first. We make that sound like such a selfish concept, but it's really like every single person on planet Earth needs to take care of themselves first. And when you overfill mm-hmm. your cup, then you're able to help others. Airplane mask. Seriously. Yes. We always say here, put your mask on before someone, before mm-hmm. helping your neighbor. I will agree and call myself out here. I come from a very privileged place where everyone in my life who helped me through my bad time had a really amazing response and was there for me. So I do acknowledge like sometimes like it's not that easy for everyone. And if you need someone to be that girl, I'll come be that girl for you. And not to like discredit, but like you, we've spoken about how like there's been illness in your family that your friends ditched you for. So you do also know what it's like not in this particular context, but what it's like when there's trauma and you're trying to be vulnerable and it's not received well. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, in these situations, you were. You know both sides of the coin. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I created my podcast because I created it to create a safe space because when I was healing from trauma, the hardest thing for me to find were safe spaces to discuss what I experienced, to hear similar stories, to get advice on what I was moving through because it was so difficult for people to hear. And from so many sexual assault victims who have reached out, one of the most common things is that they lose all their friends afterwards. And that's why I also want us to learn how to have the conversations because I think it's really common because it's just important for us to start talking about it because sexual assault victims go into such shame and trauma that they often end up acting out or they become insular. Mm -hmm. And so then friends don't know how to deal with it. So then they lose their friends and that's like re-traumatizing on top of it. Or Mm -hmm. a big one is with child sexual abuse. Families often have a really hard time believing it. So that one's really hard for people so then they can get isolated from their families. So I don't think everybody should have to hold spaces, but I think that finding spaces that can hold the space and people who can is a great resource for people who are struggling. Definitely. Sorry if that was too heavy Uh, for this episode. No. No, no. I mean, this whole episode's been (laughs) definitely. I think, honestly, this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I think it's really important. And I think that it's the more we talk about it, the more it gets normalized and the more resources people have and hear that whether you've experienced it or people have confided in you, you can better understand and just kind of like like at the doctors, like preventative care is easier than like after. So it's like if you listen to our episode and you haven't fortunately been on either side of this conversation, but then someone does come to you or you see the signs, you can have like, oh, I heard this podcast or I listened to this or I read this article. Like, oh, okay, I have a better frame of reference in the tangible world. Because I think you said when you see it in movies or it's always the guy behind the bush or like huge things that are like not the most common and like when things are portrayed in such extremes like oh well I didn't get hit so like I wasn't abused or I didn't do this so it wasn't that Mm -hmm. so I think maybe just even touching on that really quick one of my definitions here force so generally sexual assault is associated with force the legal definition of force for sexual assault is can be physical pressure or restraint psychological force or manipulation emotional coercion threats of physical violence to the person or their family or friends and other acts of intimidation not listed. So literally just because someone doesn't attack you like with a knife in an alley doesn't mean it's not rape. Mm-hmm. Please listen. If you are interested in our show notes, we're going to list where rain defines all of these terms. So that way mm-hmm. you are aware just in case. God forbid. We hope you never need it. We hope that every year these numbers start to go down. I 
personally wouldn't feel right like ending this episode without talking about situations the Aziz Ansari one happened a few years ago oh I think yes. Amanda do you know what happened and did you read the article yes can you remind me though it was a while yes. ago yes so Aziz Ansari um there was a female there was a woman journalist who met Aziz Ansari on a bar on an app something they went on a date she wasn't feeling the most comfortable um he kept doing advances she went along with it they ended up sleeping together and then and then an article came out about how she was assaulted she how she felt assaulted and how he wasn't picking up her non-verbal cues mm -hmm. I think was a lot of it and I think that there is a lot of nuance as you said like slightly or just enough I think it's also we it's something hard to draw such clear lines with I think it's important to say because sexual assault is such a heavy it's a if you say you're sexually assaulted that's a lot that's not like the boy who cried wolf like if you're crying that like it needs to mean it it's not I don't know you guys can tell me if I'm speaking out of turn here it's not you drank a little slept with someone in the next morning you wake up you're like ooh I ain't really that wasn't what I really meant to do that's not sexual assault like is there a difference between regret and I think yes there is I like personally to speak to that I'd have to review a lot okay. more about that because I did not follow up on that past what that was 26 2017 yeah. yeah but no thank you you did remind me I completely forgot about the ways in which sexual assault does need to be expanded as a definition so what you're referring to with Aziz Ansari that's something that a lot of people in the media have termed gray rape where there's not a clear conversation about consent it's just like implied body language mm -hmm. so that's something that's still very up in the air but one area where that has been clarified is with stealthing have either of you heard about that Bridgerton no then no that's something oh sorry I keep leading away I haven't heard of that I've heard the term but then if that's not it I don't remember the context. So stealthing is when two parties agree to have sex using a condom and then the condom using partner then takes off the condom oh. mid-act and does not inform the other party and then continues to have sex. Hard no. Mm -hmm. So in 20... Yeah, that doesn't sound good to me. Right? That sounds violent. In 2019... <laughs> that was officially added to the list of sexual assault items. It's called stealthing. There is a precedence for it. You can now be charged with a criminal mm -hmm. offense. Oh God, mm -hmm. that's terrible. But in terms of like the gray rape, do you think in like, I think it gets complicated because then I feel like everyone, even in a relationship in an intimate setting, like you're in a relationship, like every time like you're going to ask and if there's a time even in that relationship you don't ask, then it, to make these lines so clear, it's like, okay, so if you participate in sex, like you're you want to do it you do it and then you're like oh shoot we didn't ask like there's this show um, I think it's called upload on Amazon Prime I've only seen the first episode but in it everyone has like a body cam on and before they encounter sex like they have to say like I consent to this I consent to this before participating and that's like they they go through with it but it's the thing of like does that mean even in a relationship like every time you have like your can I touch your shoulder can I kiss your neck like every time even with like in that relationship because like we said intimate partner violence is so huge so it's like are we now step by step every single time needing to go through that just to make it as clear as possible. I almost want to say yes, mm -hmm. just because my favorite definition of consent uses the acronym FRIES, which I'm totally forgetting <laughs> right now, but I will post um, to our show notes and to the Instagram. But basically it talks about how at every point of the interaction, if it doesn't seem enthusiastic, you should do a check-in. Mm -hmm. The most safe I've ever felt like in an intimate relationship has been when like I had a migraine one day 
but I didn't let the other person know that. But like he kept checking. He's like, are you okay? You don't seem really into this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just, you know, the headache. And he's like, are you sure it's just a headache? He's like, you really don't feel good. And I was like, yeah, no, like it's, I'm like, I promise. Like, it's not you. I am into this. I'm just like this stupid, like really annoying headache won't go away. Mm -hmm. So it's like in that situation, it's like, and I've heard from multiple people sometimes, like it's a really awkward turnoff for them where they're like, yeah, like he asked me if I was okay three times. And so at that point I wasn't okay. And I didn't want to do this anymore because he totally killed the mood. But to me, it was a really nice affirmation that like I was being paid attention to and respected and that they Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that like I felt safe. So I think just like finding ways to work that in, like, may I touch your shoulder? Like, I think like we were talking about before this episode, like how there's a difference between like a hand on your back and a hand on your chest. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes like at parties where it's like, you know, like there's like a difference between like kissing and then moving further than that and just keeping sure that you have that enthusiasm going forward and like maybe noticing if it's like forced enthusiasm like me with my headache. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we have to normalize conversations. So what we're kind of talking about it to me is that we need to learn to communicate with people. So (laughs) actually for a lot of people in relationships, they don't even talk about sex. So people in relationships don't talk about a lot of things. Like there are plenty of relationships where they don't talk about money. And it's like, we need to learn to have tough conversations and in safe partnerships is a great place to start. Even when we first meet people, it's okay to ask questions about sexual history, to ask if they're interested in having sex, to ask for consent, but also just to normalize having conversations about sex. Normalize what you like in bed. Normalize what you don't like in bed. It's empowering to release the shame around sex so that you can move forward and feel safe in sex. Sex is such a vulnerable act, right? It's probably one of the most vulnerable things we can do. And that's why like when you were talking about stealthing, was that the word? Yeah. That's why that feels so violating because you feel safe because the person's wearing a condom and then they take it off, all of a sudden your safe sense of safety is taken from you. So I think mm-hmm. it's so important for us just to start having these conversations. Like if you're going to have sex with someone, even if it's a one night stand, I invite mm-hmm. you to ask yourself how comfortable with sex you are because so many things can happen from sex. You can get pregnant, you can get an STD, that if you're going to be having sex, to me, sex is an adult act. Awesome. That's great. We're consenting adults, but you need to learn how to talk about it and we live in a society that shames sex and that for women yeah yeah but I think it also shames it for men as well like like how you were saying that some women are like ew I can't believe he asked me so many times for consent and then that guy's Mm -hmm. left like well what am I supposed to do I'm shamed if I do I'm shamed if I don't Mm-hmm. So it's just releasing the shame really around sex and normalizing mm-hmm. talking about it because I think mm-hmm. that the trauma like lives in the shame. So, so many survivors want to go out in the world and start having sex again because again, it's an adult act. It's fun. But sometimes the trauma can be triggered because it's like, it still happens for me, honestly, if I'm touched a certain way, like my body will like freeze up. So luckily I'm with a partner of 11 years. So we do communicate quite well about it. But that took a while because when you watch movies, it's everybody just jumping right into bed, enjoying the act and filled with passion. And truly, I learned about sex from movies. Is that healthy? No. But for me, it was a conversation lacking 
in my childhood, in my adulthood. And so I learned from movies. So I thought it was wrong to talk about it because in movies, they don't talk about it. So I think it's just changing the narrative around what healthy sex is. Mm-hmm. Completely. And also think the thing about sex, and I've heard this in communities that are more conservative and religious, like they even speak about how purity culture was so damaging because they're like, for years and years and years, you don't have sex, you're told not to have sex, you're told. And then you're finally like, yeah, you have the ring, you can do it. And then it's like, so for the last 20 or in their case, like 19 years I've been told this thing is bad I shouldn't be doing it unless it's in marriage and now I'm married and it's like all of a sudden like that shame that you've been putting on me for 19 years to not do this to not cross this line is lifted mm-hmm. it just it doesn't make sense but yes as Amanda was saying communication is a, I think a huge tip on how to live your best life but we can also talk about impersonation sex and how that is a thing that is now punishable by, by a criminal offense yes if is that different than role play? I was going to say, if can you, you give us a quick cat- definition? Because I'm like, wait, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> Catfishers that have sex with their victims can be punished by law now. So like if I'm like posting someone else's pictures. And yeah, like-, like if you say, for example, like you took my identity and you were like, hey, I'm Angela, I'm 28 and I like Star Wars and all of this. Yeah. And you use that to get close to someone and then had sex with them. And then it later Wouldn't came out that. See, you, wouldn't they know that you don't look like those pictures? So it doesn't have to do with picture so much as just like general identity. It could, it can be pictures as but well. Like, so if just I like, look like me and I'm like, I'm going to pretend to like Star Wars and like speak like <laughs> Angela and like say no when I mean yes far too often. Yeah. I could get, I could go to jail. If you had sex with someone with, while with they thought, traits. while they thought that you were Angela who said no. <laughs> yes. Yes. I didn't watch it, but it makes me think of the Tinder swindler swindler you know it's like how you feel safe with someone it's that safety thing again Mm -hmm. right so i my mind keeps going to you think you're having sex with a millionaire but you're actually having Mm -hmm. sex with some guy who lives at home with his mother um no shame there i'm living in my parents house okay (laughs) but yeah i'm I'm, that's just like a silly example but i could see how it's that safety right you think you know somebody and then you're completely fooled got it okay yeah you just threw because i'm like does that mean like we're making role play illegal like <laughs> no, it it sounds really weird, and there's no actual term for it yet. So I call it impersonation. Yeah. Oh, Imper- okay. Yeah, that's what I call it. Like oh. I watched an entire like two part Dateline series Got on it, it okay. last week, and they don't have a term for it yet, but they are officially bringing it to trial, and it is being put into the legal system. Right. Living your best life. My first tip is I think we need to be realistic about the system in which we currently all need in which. We we are currently all moving through. And what I mean by that is as a small woman, I'm not going to go to a bar alone and order three drinks when I know my limit. I'm already very drunk at two. I don't, this isn't a thing about shaming or judging your choices. It's just, I'm aware that when I now have to get home and I'm Ubering because I'm not driving, don't drink and drive. I'm now getting in a car with a stranger. I know that people are going to see me get in a car with a stranger. People see me at that bar alone. That is not putting myself in the optimal position for my safety and I'm just not going to do it. Should I be able to go around walking at midnight? Yeah, I would love to be able to walk around at night, but it's not safe. And rather than trying to be, I'm going to push the system. I'm going to not do this thing. I'm just making myself more vulnerable. And again, a woman is never asking for whatever she wears, no matter how much she drinks, no one is ever asking to be assaulted. However, you also need to know that if you're going to a bar in a neighborhood that is known for certain things and you wear certain things, when two plus two equals four, you don't deserve it, but you also 
knew that you could have made another safer choice for yourself. I think that I agree. Like some of my things on here, I feel like fall like under that line of controversy. Like I personally don't agree with walking or running while wearing headphones. I think that even outside of sexual assault, you can't hear traffic. If there was something else going on around you, like people were running, like there was something like some emergency that happened, you would be less likely to hear it. And that's not great for your safety either. But at the same time, I wear one because I'm on the phone with someone if I'm by myself. Yes, I do that sometimes, especially when I get in a car, I'll call someone and even if they can't talk the full time, I'll let them know I am 17 minutes away. If I am not here in 18 minutes, call me back or call the police. Yeah, I agree with those. And kind of like you were saying with going to a bar, I think the buddy system, as silly as it sounds, ladies, Mm -hmm. please don't leave your friends alone. And please don't ditch Mm -hmm. your friends for other or for men or for like a man you might have met. I know that it takes the fun out of things, but my sexual assault happened through being left alone with a group of men by a friend. I don't blame her. I had to work through a lot with that but it's just it happens right it's like you said we should be able to split up at a bar I'll go meet a guy and feel safe but Mm -hmm. unfortunately we all have to look out for each other and I Mm -hmm. wish it wasn't the reality and you're not like because then it's like that gray area right I don't want everybody to feel like they're responsible for their friends and things like that but if we all choose to go out together one night I feel like we take on making sure everybody gets home safe. And if somebody acts really irresponsibly, you don't have to see them again, right? You can, Mm -hmm. like, if you feel like, wow, I can't do that again, you don't have to do that again. But just like for the one night, I feel like it's okay to make sure everyone gets home safe, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I think like, if you're the person who wants to hook up and you trust the guy you're with, you both take your friend home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and make sure they get home safe. And then you two can go, because it's also like, if you meet a stranger and want to hook up, it's not like you're, you can't like, oh, you didn't let me hook up that night. It's like, no, but you can, you're changing the plan. So accommodate the new plan, make sure your friend gets home safe, and then you can go do whatever, whoever you want. Mm-hmm. I think there's extra things. Also, I just, I think we should put this out. Angel shots, I believe are now a universal thing at bars, mm-hmm. where if you order an angel shot, it was really funny. One of the bartenders I follow on TikTok did like a role play thing where she like ordered one. This woman was like, no, everyone's just been saying it. Like I thought it was a drink. It's like, when you order an angel shot at a bar, it is a way for you to, to inform the bartender you are in a unsafe precarious situation and typically I believe the options are like they can call you an uber they'll ask who it is that they can put you in the back put you in the bathroom someone will get rid of them or find a way for you to get out of there it's like Mm -hmm. a code at most bars I believe Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good one angel shot just making sure all bartenders know now because I know there were some bunny ones where guys were like running around behind the bar or men and women running around behind the bar um, like trying to figure out what an angel shot was when this first um, got a lot of popularity last summer. The one thing I will say is like if you are ever out on a date on your own and you feel unsafe and like you can't maybe get to a bar, get to a bartender to order an angel shot, don't leave the public space. Don't like try to go into the bathroom or the back room or leave on your own. Call an Uber, call a friend, wait somewhere where a lot of people can see you and then have someone come and physically get you or walk you out. And I think most, I know particularly women, but most decent people, if you are in a precarious situation, and you see a stranger, another woman, I would say, mm-hmm. say something. And I know at least like Angela and I were in a sorority in college. I know the kind of camaraderie that like women have for each other in those situations. She's not doing lots. Like we're not leaving. We're leaving together. Come back with us. We'll mm-hmm. call an Uber. We'll stay here. We'll wait. Mm-hmm. And I just think that other people want to help you if, and I know this is a hard, if you're able to get over the shame of needing to ask for the help. Mm-hmm 
most people will help. Mm -hmm. No, I think sometimes too, it's like, like we said earlier, like a form of bystander intervention that can be pretty low risk and easy is like, say, for example, like you are like in a bar in a parking lot, someplace in public where you see like there's something shady going down. Don't leave. Wait in your car. Wait by the window. A safe distance away. A safe distance away and watch and see if they need help. Like be ready to call 911. If you have to leave, alert someone else. I know one of my friends and I in college, we literally sat in a parking lot for six hours outside of this apartment building because this guy and her boyfriend were just arguing that whole time and it looked so explosive that we were worried something was going to happen. So we waited until he left. So it's like we ordered a pizza to the car. We we were up a safe distance away that they did not notice us, but like we were there a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like just sometimes the best thing you can do is just wait and see. That's also a very extreme example of waiting six hours. Wait as long as you can. Wait as long as you feel comfortable and safe in the situation to do. Like, yes. I don't want it to be like if you're well, I can't stay here all day and park myself here. Like I I can't make a difference. You can make a difference just if you see a girl uncomfortable and it's like, hey, like didn't we go to college together? Like weren't mm. you this? Like there are ways to do it smaller scale that aren't like these big things that could obviously prevent something and make a huge difference and change the direction of how that interaction would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just an extremist. As we will now move on to in Angela's extreme tips and tricks, home and car edition. So in your home, ladies, I know especially you guys, you all have a spot where you like plan to hide if someone ever breaks in, stash stuff for yourself there. Like it's a thing. Stash, stash an extra phone, stash a burner phone. Yeah. Okay. What if you don't take your phone with you? Then you have a phone there. You can call 911. Okay. Anything you need. Like in my hiding spot, I have a phone, I have shoes, and I have gloves. Like and latex or like kitchen gloves? They're kitchen gloves. So another one of the things my family, we've talked about, they did like stranger danger training with me when I was little. One of the things they taught me is if there is ever an emergency in the house, there's a fire, someone gets in the house, something like that. Like if you can't get out a door, break a window. They're like, we don't care. Get out and break a window. On our second floor, we have a rope ladder so that I can get out a window. So I should get one of them. Yeah. Like those are things like I tell women, like especially when they live alone, have like little extra things spread out ready to go. So that way you can grab and run because especially like in some apartment, things just aren't laid out well or like in houses, there's a lot of areas to cover. Mm -hmm. The first instinct generally is to hide, try to get out. Another thing is there are all of these cool, if your apartment or things don't come with a deadbolt lock, which are the most secure, there are all of these little gadgets on Amazon to like make doors harder to open. I know Mm -hmm. when Angela and I shared an apartment in college, we were on the first floor. I had a sliding glass door that did not lock. And the year before, like someone had known to come in and like assault a girl. And like they felt no need to add a lock to my sliding glass door. I didn't know it didn't lock. It did. So like I got like door jams from, that's why like I had door jams all over the apartment. I thought that was just like an extra precaution. No, like my door, like it, it like it was, it, I don't know if it was the didn't lock or it wasn't a secure lock. It would have been very easy to j- to wiggle it. Ugh. Yeah, the point extra is, security devices. There are things, extra security devices, things to put in your purse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not as extreme as Angela, but. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'm that extreme either. I'm not quite sure where I'd hide in the house I'm living in, but I also move around a lot. But I recommend finding things to make you feel safe. So that's what I talk about with a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. I lock all my doors. That's about all 
all I personally do, but that's what makes me feel safe and comfortable. If you lock all your doors mm-hmm. and you still feel unsafe, take the next step. If you need security for your home, don't feel like that's a weakness. Like do whatever you need to feel safe. I also do carry around like a whistle in my bag. And if I'm in a parking lot by myself, I put my keys between my fingers. You know, mm-hmm. I find ways that make me feel safe. So mm-hmm. I advise for everybody to, there's so many things out there today. Like you were saying with the door jams, I've seen so many different versions of that. And there's so, like with ring cameras, there's so many different ways to make your home secure and just ensure mm-hmm. that you feel safe and don't feel bad if you need more things than other people. Like do whatever yeah. you need to feel safe. Also always check the license plate on your Uber. I yes. know it's a mm-hmm. small thing. Always check the license plate. I got, obviously I'm here and I'm fine, but like there was an Uber I called and the license plates didn't match. And I asked him like, who are you here to pick up? And I, I double checked and I was leaving dinner at my family's house. And they're like, why, why aren't you getting in the car? Cause I'm like, the license plates don't match. So I'm going to do like an extra thorough level. of. He's like, I just got them changed. It's in Uber hasn't changed them yet, which I believe because in the system, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's not like, that's like a big red flag to me. Like if, if I didn't feel safe, I would have canceled the Uber and called another one. I'm like, I'm so sorry, sir. Like mm-hmm. I can't get in a car with like, but like, it's a small thing, but it's like, make sure the license plates match up. Mm-hmm. No, I think call out to Uber there, be better at updating that. That happened to me and Megan when we were in Denver as well. Like I would not, I wanted to cancel the car because I was like, I'm not going to get in. And then the guy pulled the license plate yeah. out from the, old the glove yeah. box. So I was like, okay. I was like, you have it. I was like, I still don't feel yeah. super comfortable. Yeah. But yeah. Some Ubers actually, they had this new thing, pilot program that we're testing. I don't know if it's everywhere, but you're given a verification code. Yeah. And Amanda, have you seen this? No, I haven't seen this. So when you're given the verification code, you have to type it in before the driver knows your location. Mm-hmm. So like you have typed the code in or like your driver gives you the code to type into your phone to, sh- to verify like the two way that you're who you say they are, the driver who they, and then the like you get in the car and the location is released to the driver. And I'm like, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. The higher we can just make sure people are who they say they are. I know Blake Lively was like a big advocate to like make sure Uber and Lyft had to like run their lists of drivers through the sex offender list. Yeah, they totally need to do that. I don't know. I don't know if they actually did, but I think it is way too easy to sign up to be an Uber and Lyft driver. DoorDash, Uber Eats, mm-hmm. Instacart, any sort of. All of those. And especially the way that Uber and Lyft have not necessarily cooperated with the police. They'll just purge the driver from their system and claim that they have never been an employee. Be be better guys. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us. Hopefully we were not too all over the place, Um, but you've provided like so many amazing resources today. And thank you for sharing your story and working through all of this with us. And please come back. Have any final advice, wisdom, anything? Uh, No, I feel like we covered so much today. I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me on here. I think that both of you are so beautiful for even being willing to have this conversation. I think that it's underestimated how powerful just being willing to have a conversation like this is. So I just thank you both so much for having me on here and for being so open about talking about sexual assault. Oh my gosh. Yes. No, please come back and speak with us. Speak with us about healthcare. Um, <laughs> I know. Can, yeah. Like, I feel like there's a whole healthcare portion of this that oh we God. haven't covered and even just healthcare in general, we want to do again. Yeah. So please come yeah. come join us anytime. To keep this wrap up short, um, thank you for listening to today's episode of Anomnia Pradas. Follow us at Anomniapod on Instagram, Amanda at New View Advice Podcast or just New View Advice? Just New View Advice. Okay. New View Advice on Instagram and TikTok and have a lovely 
weekend. I don't think appropriate to like have a good Sam month. So like, remember this year's denim day is April 27th. So wear your jeans, get your buttons. Uh, we'll post a link in the show notes of where you can get your own Sam awareness um, kit from the Denim Days organization. You're here. Mm -hmm.